It's been a good morning already. Um, I hope you're excited what God's already been doing and what He wants to do in our life this morning um, through His Word, through His Spirit working in us. Uh, if you are visiting, my name is Pastor Mike or, or Mike, um, and uh, just it's awesome to be a part of God's work. If you have your scriptures with you, I want to encourage you to make your way to the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. As you can see behind me, we're going through a series called Dear Church, and we're looking at the seven churches to which um, the opening of Revelation is directed to. Jesus gives them uh, instructions. Uh, a lot of times they're rebuked. Matter of fact, there's only two churches within the seven that do not receive a rebuke. Today we're going to be wrapping up chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 18 as we're looking at the church of Thyatira. Um, and we, we are going to understand what Jesus is saying to this church as he said to the others. There are some similarities in what he has said to some of these other churches with this particular church. But um, just really want to understand what our Lord and Savior says to his bride. And as I've said almost every week is we're not saying Harvest Hill is this church or not that church. We're seeing what Jesus Christ says to his church, his body, his bride and things that they should be doing. He commends them and things they shouldn't be doing. And, and then sometimes a rebuke and things they need to knock off and they need to just stop doing. Um, with the church of Thyatira, there's not a whole lot of. Uh, background that we can gather, but there is more than Pergamum, which we looked at last week. Uh, Pergamum has no other mention in Scripture out of Revelation chapter 1 and 2. Thyatira is kind of the same, except in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul's on one of his missionary journeys and comes to the city of Philippi, where he meets a woman named Lydia, who we're told is from the city of Thyatira. And she is a seller of purple goods, but is also a worshiper of God. Now, it doesn't tell us much about the city itself or the church, but it does give us a point of reference to go off of. The archaeological evidence lets us know that this particular city, it's no more, does not stand anymore, uh, it was a military city. And so it was a place where Rome would send their, their military to be trained. And so it was a very small city. There were not a whole lot of inhabitants that actually stayed in the city. Yet interesting enough, when we look at this passage concerning the church, it receives the longest portion of instruction than any of the other churches, even though it is one of the smallest cities. We can know that since Lydia came from this city and she was a seller of purple goods, and it was not a normal thing for women to necessarily be in the workforce that at this particular time, that the city was probably progressive, which is one of the issues to which Jesus comes and brings a rebuke to it. But if you have your Bible with you, we're going to walk through this. We're going to draw out what God is saying to this church, because um, the church is God's people. It is a gathering of God's people that God has called out of this world, so we can in turn, as God's people, call out to the world. And Jesus brings some instruction to this church, beginning in verse 18. The word of the Lord says, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. 
I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we're going to walk back to verse 18 and kind of walk through this. Verse 18 begins as we've talked about each church has the introduction to Christ's authority to the church. Verse 18 does the same thing as we've seen with Pergamum, uh, Smyrna, and Ephesus. And it's to take us back to chapter 1 in verses 14 and 15 where the Apostle John is given this vision and this scene of Jesus Christ and His holiness, His splendor, His authority, He he being worshipped in heaven. And it's to take us back to that because here's the main issue that is happening in Thyatira. It's authority. And as you can see as we walk through this, authority is something that Jesus brings up at the very beginning and at the very end. He calls Himself the Son of God. And this is the only time in the book of Revelation where that title is given to Jesus in this book, that He is the Son of God. The the title Son of God, as we saw these, these individuals come forward, do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? It's a title of equality with God. It's a title of of authority with God, a title of power with God, of Him being the supreme being, that He was God in the flesh. And so Jesus comes to this church that on the outside looks good, but He comes to His church announcing His authority and that He has eyes like a flame of fire, meaning His eyes are penetrating into the heart of the church, not just what's on the outside, not what everybody can see, but what's going on on the inside. He has feet like burnished bronze, which is to speak of his immovable and his sustaining power that he wants to give the church and that he's bringing the church through his instructions. If you look, he says in verse 19, I know your works or I know your deeds. I know what you've been doing. I know your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance. And I know your latter works exceed the first. I know, Jesus says, that you have all these great things going for you. I know that you are doing more than when you started. You are continuing to improve yourself. But the problem is, is that this church, which we all would look and probably be drawn to, Jesus has something that is going on with this church that is inside the church. It's in the depths of the church. It is penetrating the church. And so he tells the church that I have this against you, which is one of the longest of all the rebukes that he gives and is directed particularly at an individual within the church. William Barclay writes out in his commentary that on the surface, the church of Thyatira was strong and flourishing. And if we were to go there, we would be impressed by its abounding energy, by its generous liberality, and its apparent steadfastness. As we look at this church that has works in love and faith and service and patient endurance and has continued to improve himself, it is a reminder to us this morning that not all things are as they appear. 
is that we can put on a show for many people. And maybe that's what you're doing in your life. You're putting on a show, hoping that other people think that you're spiritual or think that you're a believer or think that you're a Christian. But Jesus comes to this church who has a show of religion and is actually struggling with what they've been called to do. And so his eyes penetrate the heart. Because Jesus wants a pure church. He wants a pure body. And to have a pure church and a pure body begins by us being pure and holy and blameless before the Lord. So he says, I have this against you. You're tolerating that woman, verse 20, Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess and is teaching seducing my servants. The word servants is a phrase used frequently in Scripture to refer to believers and Christians. It literally means bond servants, those who have been bought at a price as we've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what this Jezebel is teaching, sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. This has been the constant problem since we've gone back to Ephesus. Ephesus was a church that was strong in doctrine, theology, orthodoxy, and so they had this biblical barrier that they, was not, they were not going to allow anyone to come into the church to corrupt the church with sexual immorality and with food practice or taking food that was given to idols. The church of Smyrna was a church that was in the midst of tribulation and poverty, but they didn't seem to have this issue. Finally, the church of Pergamum, which, which Thyatira has a lot in common with, has this group, the Nicolaitans and this other group, trying to come into the church to bring these sort of practices. The difference here in Thyatira is this is an individual within the church. Jezebel represents an individual that is in the church that is seen as a teacher or someone in a leadership position that is teaching God's children, God's people, to do things that are not of God. And the church, the church is allowing it. The church is giving this individual full reign. Jezebel is most likely a, pray, a play on words. It's probably not a literal Jezebel, but someone to refer to Jezebel of the Old Testament who, who married King Ahab, who he thought she would bring prominence and, and, and bring him strength in his kingdom as a leader of the kingdom. But what ended up happening is she brought God's people into idolatry. She actually put warrants or bounties out on the prophets of God, those who spoke for God and, and tried to kill them off. And so this individual, Jezebel, that's the representation. She's come in, and it's an individual that the church sees as, as a benefit. The church sees as a, as a power player. The church sees as, as someone we can't lose. But in the midst of that, she's practicing and preaching unbiblical concepts, and because the church sees as someone they, they can't lose that individual, they're unwilling to confront that individual about their unbiblical practices. And we may, not, we may say that would never happen in church today, but here's the reality. I've come across numerous churches and been in churches where that very thing has happened. Where an individual has done something and needs to be called out in a loving manner, in a Christ-like manner. They need to be held accountable and be disciplined by their brothers and sisters in Christ. But the response that I've gotten is this. Well, we don't want to step on their toes because they're a very big giver. We, we don't want them to take their money somewhere else. This is Jezebel. She is someone that has prominence within the church and has individuals following her lead and that the church doesn't seem to want to go against. But Jesus says she is seducing my servants. She is seducing my children. She is seducing my church to go into these practices of sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. Again, that phrase has come up 
numerous times. The eating of food, sacrifice, the idols, here's what it is. The main part, problem in Thyatira is authority, but it's also the authority of association. To do food sacrifice to idols, this is what would have to happen. Believers in the church, the body of Christ, would be going to these worship services. These services that were, there would be pagan rituals and pagan celebrations given up to the Greek gods and the emperor of, of Rome. And so they would go, which that's not the problem. The problem isn't that they're in that, that area. The problem is, is they begin to involve themselves in the rituals, involve themselves in the worship practice and celebrations. They would not be able to eat the food unless they partook of some part of the celebration. So what they're doing when they're taking the food, sacrifice to idols, and what this Jezebel is teaching is that it is okay. It's okay. You don't need to worry what people think. You don't need to worry what people say. If it feels good, do it. And we find the same thing happening today. Where we associate Christians and we say, well, you know, Bob does that. And I know Bob's a Christian, so it must be all right. The reality is, is what we associate ourselves with tells a message to this world. I grew up as guilty by association. And, and that holds true as a Christian. Is it, it's not that we don't hang out with people who aren't saved. That would go against the Bible itself. But what we don't do is we don't partake or we don't involve ourselves in the things of this world. We are to be separated from this world. And to teach anything otherwise that, you know, well, you know, it, it's just a little thing. It's not that big of a deal. It's unbiblical. And this is what Jesus brings to the church. You need to separate yourself from these rituals, from these things of this world, because it is corrupting your message. It is corrupting your ministry. It is corrupting your testimony. This other word of the, she's teaching sexual immorality, which Jesus refers, Ephesus doesn't seem to have this problem, but Pergamum is, is caught in the midst of it. The word for sexual immorality in Scripture is the Greek word pornea which is the word that we render in English for pornography. The word means any illegitimate, extramarital, or unnatural sexual intercourse or relationship. And the understanding of Scripture of pornea is that it is a sin against one's own body. That's how Scripture refers to sexual immorality of pornea. In other words, all other sins are against God, but Pornea, sexual immorality, is a sin against the image which God created us to be, and it's a sin against the union to which we have claimed to have with Jesus Christ. It is a direct assault on what God created sex and relationships for. The word pornea refers to anybody who is in a relationship that is sexual but is outside of marriage. It is to refer to any individual who has multiple sex partners or is in a homosexual relationship to which the Bible condemns. The reality is, is that these sort of practices are happening today. There are fewer individuals that I've gone through with church counseling that have remained abstinent till marriage. And I, for one, will confess that I was one of those individuals. When I met Jamie, my wife, who she's on her way back. She's not skipping, don't worry. Preacher's wives don't get to skip. Um, when I met Jamie and I felt that she was the one that God wanted me to be with and for her to be with me, and it took a lot of prayer and fasting for her to finally see that, but eventually I wore her down. When she finally decided she wanted to, to go on a date with me and hang out with me, 
one of the things that I was convicted about before we could even take this to another step is I had to confess to her of my past relationship. I felt I owed it to her as someone who remained abstinent for me that I owed it to her that everything I was bringing into our relationship, which I hope would go to marriage, and it did, you know, praise the Lord, um, but she had to be aware and fully aware of everything I was going to bring into this relationship. If we were going to be one, she had to know my past. And at that moment, when I told her of what I had done, I said, look, I understand right now if you want to walk away, and I fully deserve that. You waited for me, and I did not wait for you. And so if you want to walk away in this moment, I fully deserve it. That would be what I deserve. And she had to make that choice. The word pornea, even though we want to go to pornography, doesn't just say pornography. It's any sort of sexual relationship that is outside the confines of marriage. Marriage is is the sign that we are one, and sex is the sign that we are one together of one flesh. It also deals with the idea of homosexuality. Sexual immorality deals with homosexuality. And we may say, well, that's not a problem in some churches, but I looked it up. Within the United States, there are several denominations, main streamlined denominations that are well known that have accepted homosexuality and transgender individuals as acceptable. I'm not saying as a church or as God's people we shouldn't love on these people. We shouldn't preach God's truth to these people. We shouldn't show them grace. We shouldn't show them mercy. We shouldn't treat them like individuals who are made in the image of God. I'm not saying that at all. Okay? We, that's our job is to go into that and to speak truth and bring light into those individuals who are struggling with those things. What I am saying as a church and what Jesus points out here to Thyatira, which they have begun to accept, is that they are preaching that it is okay to be homosexual and it is okay to be a transgender and still at the same time be a Christian. And that's exactly what's happening today. Is that we don't want to step on anybody's toes. We don't want to make any group feel unwanted or unloved. And so we're going to accept them and we're going to say that that lifestyle is okay. There's even some denominations that have gone as far as to say that you can be homosexual or transgender and be a preacher. Which, that's Jezebel. That's what Jezebel is doing. And the biggest conflict I've had, because I have people in my life that are homosexual, um, individuals that I love and that I care about. Um, and the biggest struggle I've heard when I've had these conversations is, well, how can you rebuke this sin? Because isn't all sin sin? So what's the difference if I do this and then someone who's a Christian go gets wasted on a Friday night or is involved in some things that are ungodly? And the answer is not always easy, but according to the Bible, sexual immorality, sex before marriage, multiple sex partners, homosexuality, denying one's birth, sex, and adultery are in a direct assault upon the temple of God and the image of God, which is the body that God has given us. Because before sin in the world, God ordained two sexes, male and female. And God ordained sexual relationships to be between a husband and and wife under the confines of marriage. And yet, if it's an issue in the first generation church, we can believe it's an issue today's generation church, and the statistics say just that. 
the heartbreaking thing for us is there are believers in this church that aren't doing anything about it. They don't want to confront this, this leader. It's also important to note that this Jezebel individual, which is most likely a female individual because it's, she is a prophetess. And some of us grew up Southern Baptists and it's like, whoa, whoa, woman prophetess? That's scriptural. Um, matter of fact, anything about leadership in the church and you read that in some of the other letters of Paul, there's some context that go in that. But it is important to note that she is not the pastor of the church. It says in verse 12, And to the angel, which would be the messenger or the leader of the church, would be the pastor or the elder of that church. Jezebel is not that individual. She is someone within the church who is teaching, someone who has a leadership role. And Jezebel's teaching is this. Live how you want. Do what you want. And don't let anything stand in your way. If it feels good, do it. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's a direct assault upon the grace of God saying that I have been forgiven from all my sins so I can continue to live in sin and live like the world, which is exactly what God has called us out of. It is about power and influence here in Thyatira. Thyatira church is wrestling with the authority over, over their lives. It's wrestling with authority issues. So Jesus comes to his church and reminds them, I am the son of God, which the church, that's the confession. He is the son of the living God, the rock in which the church is built. It is our association with Jesus being the son of God and who he is that the world has to hear and which the church stands for. It is his power and authority and influence over our lives, which is what we bear fruit and that the light shines out of us and the salt or the flavor we give to this world. The church of Thyatira appeared on the outside to be a great, healthy, vibrant church, but in the inside, they were lacking full allegiance to Jesus Christ. They could check in and they could check out and go live how they wanted, and there was no authority of God's Word over their life. The individual named Jezebel was given authority and speaking authority, and those who were following her have been given a rebuke. But you also find grace here. Look at this. He comes and speaks about Jezebel in verse 21. He says, I gave her time to repent. So this individual is leading others astray. Jesus doesn't come and just bring the hammer or the Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he comes and he's given her time to repent. How that is done, we don't know. Maybe, maybe there were some individuals trying to speak up. Maybe this individual was seeking the word of God and seeing what they were doing is wrong, but they continued to practice the same habitual sin over and over again. And so that time is up. She refuses. She doesn't want to, verse 21. So I'm going to throw her into a sick bed. I'm going to throw her into a bed of destruction. And those who commit adultery with her I'll throw into great tribulation unless they repent of the work. So then we still see this grace. He says in verse 23, I will strike her children dead. This isn't Jesus saying, I'm going to come and start killing kids. What Jesus is saying here is those who come after her and her teachings and keep their teachings, her followers, are going to meet the same end that she will. And why? Verse 23. Why is Jesus doing this? Why is Jesus so concerned about the church? Why is He so concerned about the way we live our life and, and our relationships with people? Why is He concerned about the purity and the holiness here? It's so that all churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart and I will give each according to your works. See, it's not just the testimony of Harvest Hill. 
It's the testimony of Harvest Hill for this, this, this city, but it's the testimony of Harvest Hill for other churches. That other churches see how we conduct ourselves, how we, how we follow the Word of God, how we preach the Word of God, how we sing praises to our God. And other churches would see that, and they would see that as our testimony. Not our building, not, not, not ministries or things we have going on on the calendar, but they would see that we are people that are committed to the authority of Jesus Christ over our life and the authority of Jesus Christ over this church. That's what Jesus comes. The understanding in Thyatira is no matter how profound someone says something, no matter how good it sounds, no matter how much we like it, if it does not match the Word of God, it will only end in destruction. The question I had to wrestle with this week and the question put forward with you this morning is who or what are we allowing to influence us that is ultimately allowing, that we're ultimately allowing it to be the authority over our life? What are we allowing to influence us? Is it social media? Is it politics? Is it someone at work? Is it, is it someone we look up to? Then when we figure out what that issue is or what that thing is or what that person is, then we have to go to the Word of God. Is that individual, is that thing, is, is that source, is it connected to this? And the Bible says we are to respect our authorities. We respect those who God has placed an authority over us. And I can respect an individual, but I can still not follow their teachings. And so the question this morning for us as brothers and sisters in Christ is, are we following the teachings of God's Word, or are we following the teachings of someone else? Because that ultimately is the authority over our life. That's what's influencing us. And that, in turn, is what people are seeing out of us. You may be here this morning... And you have yet to give God authority over your life. God created you in His image and in His likeness. He created you for a relationship with you. But the issue you and I have is that we all rebel. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. And because we do that, there's nothing we can do to to mend this relationship. The Bible says our sin separates us from God. It, 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 It costs of death. The separation from the living God. But as we saw this morning with these individuals, Jesus Christ came to pay our penalty. They put Him on the cross. He died a horrendous death. And then they buried Him in a tomb, which is what we symbolize when we come into baptism, that He was buried, but He rose again that we could be forgiven. The Bible says when I understand that I'm a sinner and I rebel, and maybe you're here this morning, you know there's things in your life you've been rebelling against God and His Word. Maybe the issue you have this morning is you, you want to be in authority of your own life. But Jesus Christ came to buy us at a price so we might become His slaves, His servants, that we belong to Him, and we now serve Him, and we now do what He says to do. And when I realize that He died for my sins and rose again, the Bible says I confess it, I let it be known that He is my Lord and Savior. Lord meaning Master, Savior meaning my salvation. And the Bible says when I do that, I will be given eternal life. You may be here this morning and that's something you need to do. Maybe you saw these testimonies like I've yet to do that, but I believe it. Maybe you just need to come forward and let it be known that I need to follow Jesus in baptism. I have accepted Him as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here this morning 
And I know this is kind of a tough conversation to have, and it's not one of those you like to have in public conversations, but maybe you're this morning and those sort of things are what you're struggling with and you're in the midst of. And anytime we have a sin that God reveals, here's the thing. We either brush it off like it's not that big of a deal or we say, okay, God, I'm going to submit this to you and I'm going to repent of this. I'm going to give you authority over this. It may mean some choices in your life need to change. It may mean some relationships need to go on pause for a moment. But ultimately it comes down to, am I going to trust that He is good and He has a plan for me and it is good too? I don't know where you are this morning, but we're going to come to a time of invitation. I'm going to invite Bridget to come back up and Jason, if you come down here for the invitation. If you need to come down and pray before the Father, I'm not standing here as the pastor because I've got it all figured out and I do it all right and and I don't struggle with sin too. I, I do. But it all comes down to who am I going to trust every single time. Maybe you're here this morning and that's something you need to come before the Father and say, God, I'm going to trust you. You're the God who is holy, holy, holy. You're being worshipped by the angels. I'm going to trust you because you, you hold my life in your hands. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, for the very first time. You just come down and let Jason know. That's why he's down here. So I, I want to accept Jesus. I want to be saved. But maybe you're here this morning and you've already done that, but you've yet to follow in baptism as some of our individuals did here this morning. And that's something you need to do. To let it be known that you're placing God's authority over your life. You can come and let Jason know that as well. However, God has spoken this morning. Now is the time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, that you will not let us just rest easy in sin. That you care about us too much. You know what sin does. You know that sin kills us and steals us and destroys our lives and, and takes the joy that you want to give us, that it, that it takes away that abundant life that you promise us. Father, forgive me for those times where I've ran to sin more than I've run to you, my Savior. Forgive me for those times I've given things more authority than your word. Forgive me those times where I've shooken it off myself and said, well, I'm just going to do it. I'm so in need of your mercy every single day, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that your word says things that sometimes we don't necessarily want to hear, but we need to. I pray for every individual this morning that now it's the time as we respond, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. We would come before you, a God who loves us and cares about us. We just lay these things at your feet and we would proclaim that you are our God, our Lord, and our Savior. Lord, continue to do your great mighty work in us. Continue to bring yourself glory. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.